Hi, I'm Steve Scott, and welcome to Knowing Him. Hi, I'm Steve Scott, and welcome to another podcast of Knowing Him. Uh, as always, our goal is to equip believers with what they need, according to Christ, what they need to have a more intimate and miracle-filled uh, life in Him, how to come to know Him and the Father more intimately. Well, yesterday we talked about uh, the miracles of the moment, learning how to actually come out of the past or future and live in the moment. Uh, psychologists, and there's a couple different studies that show that the average adult in America spends uh, up to 45%, actually 45% or more, of their waking hours uh, living in either the future or the past. And you think, well, that's ridiculous. That's not true. Well, when you define the future as any time in the future, uh, it could be what's for lunch. Uh, it could be, I wonder what I'm going to do when I get home tonight. Ooh, one of my favorite TV programs is going to be on tonight. Uh, anything that takes our mind out of what's right in front of us and puts us into the future. It could be, wow, next week we go on vacation. Ooh, what do I need to do? Okay, now I'm still in the future. So the future, a lot of us think the future is a month or two months or a year or two years from now. It really isn't. It's 30 seconds from now. The past, uh, as I mentioned in our last podcast, yes, it could be two years ago, three years ago, five years ago. It can be when a trauma happened in your childhood. But more frequently, it's what happened on your way to work. Somebody cuts you off and, you, you man, it's just you think about it and mm, you just want to get them. Um, or it could be something that uh, uh, your husband or wife said right as you were leaving and it was just, oh, you know, it was just a little painful, and you keep going back to that. Uh, that's living in the past. So living in the past isn't just way past. It's uh, you walk to your office, and you pass somebody's door, and they just give you a look, and you can't get that look out of your mind. Well, that look might have been literally 60 seconds ago, and you're thinking about it now, so that's in the past. Well, um, Jesus... Uh, gave us some very strong commands that we didn't look at yesterday. Uh, number one, for example, he said uh, this is an implied command. He makes a statement that reveals something, and from that we can imply a, a, a command. In Luke 9.62, he says, um, He who puts his hand to the plow looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, what he's really talking about... Um, in context, is fit for service. Uh, so he's not talking about getting morally fit. He says, he who puts his hand to the plow, looking back, is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. Why? Because when you look back, you can't plow a straight line. When you live in the past, you're not in the moment. And he said, that's a no-no, Luke 9.62. Regarding the future, we all know he said lots of stuff about that. But, uh, for example, Matthew 6, 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. He goes on in verse 27 and says, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? 
And uh, then in verse 34, he concludes saying, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not worry. Well, I've heard that a million times. You've heard it a million times. And we still find ourselves worrying. Why? Is it because we don't have faith in Christ? Actually, no. We find ourselves worrying because our mind leaves the moment we're in. And uh, so worry is one of those red flags. Anytime you start to worry, realize that, that, that the Lord is waving a big red flag at you saying, you're living in the future. You're living in the future. Same thing about the past. Anytime you, you are sad or taken down or you have a regret, you know, there's a lot of things, mistakes I've made in my life. And um, little things, uh, not spending enough time with mom or dad, uh, you know, trying to hurry up a phone call with them, things like that. I still, and those things happened years ago, and uh, I still have trouble with the regrets. But anytime you have regrets or nostalgic feelings or uh, sadness, discouragement, uh, even anger, usually that's a red flag. And the Lord is telling you, you're living in the past. Well, guess what? When we live in the past or future, we miss the miracles that are all around us and the miracles of the moment. We miss being in the moment with God and bringing him into that moment in our life. So it's critical that we have a practice that begins to bring us into the moment more often because that's where all the miracles happen and that's where God's spirit dwells. He dwells in the moment that we're in. So we looked at all that and we, we talked about some reset buttons. Those reset buttons are found in John chapter four where Jesus said, lift up your eyes. In other words, do something about it. He said, do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? I tell you, Lift up your eyes. Look at the field in front of you. Behold, the fields are white, ready for harvest. Begin harvesting. In other words, come into the moment and do something, okay? So I'm in the moment in a, um, we'll say I'm, I'm taking a, one of my grandkids to school. Uh, don't be thinking about work, but come into that moment and dialogue with them. Ask questions of them. Answer questions they have. That's living in the moment. That's what we want to do. Anything else that takes us, for the most part, takes our mind into the future, into the past, is keeping us from experiencing God in our present moment, even though he's there waiting. Um, now, there's a reset button that we didn't talk about yesterday, and I really want to talk about this because it's a big one. Um, when your mind starts to drift into the future or the past, future you start worrying, anxiety, fear, stress, dread, anticipation, and past, like we've said, is uh, sadness and regret and so on. When that starts to happen, the biggest reset button of all is to connect and converse with God. Start to pray. You don't have to go into a long, lengthy Prayer, it can be as easy as, wow, Lord, I'm looking at the morning right now. Blue skies, and it is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for the sunlight. Thank you for the oxygen. Thank you for the fact that I can breathe without any pain. My dad died of lung cancer, by the way, 
and every breath at the end was was horribly painful. Well, so I go like this. <sighs> no pain. There's a reason to thank God. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote, in all things and for all things, give thanks to God, for this is the will of God for you. In all things and for all things, give thanks. And you don't do that when you're in the future or the past. So just starting to pray, it can be a sentence, it can be a word, it can be thanking him for anything. I love to thank God because um, I've got so much to be thankful for. I stand in amazement every single day. I wake up and I'm amazed by his grace and mercy to Steve Scott because I've done a lot of bad things in my life. And I can't even, sometimes it's so hard for me to believe that God could forgive me and love me, but he's proven his love. So I accept that. Paul said uh, that God proves his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, when Steve Scott was at his absolute worst, that Christ died for me. I didn't have to become a good boy to, for him to, to lay down his life. He laid down his life for me even when I was a bad boy, and that's how much he loves us. And so he doesn't have to prove his love again, by the way. If somebody says, how could a God of love do this or let this person go through that suffering or that suffering? That's nonsense, okay? God has proved his love. He gave his son to die for the very people that hated him. What kind of God does that? He's proved his love, okay? Now, uh, coming back into the present moment, um, I want to talk about something I learned in 1965 that completely changed the way I prayed. I have had a lifetime. I've been a believer now since 1964, and I've had a lifetime of seeing God's miracles. I mean, huge miracles. I've had a child uh, miraculously healed of cancer. I had another child that was wonderfully healed through a surgeon's hand of cancer. And um, so I don't care how God does it. That's up to him, but just that he would even do that. But I've had so many miracles. Maybe one broadcast, we will uh, we'll do a thing where I start going through some of these amazing miracles. I mean, for an ex-atheist who didn't even believe God, to see hundreds of miracles in his lifetime, uh, that's pretty crazy. Okay, here it is. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Now, we've heard this verse many times, but I want to share with you what a wonderful teacher from Campus Crusade for Christ shared with me in 1965. His name was John Braun, for any of those of you that remember John and his ministry at Georgia Tech. Uh, I went to a summer crusade uh, conference and he was the main speaker. And he shared this and it, like I say, completely changed the way I prayed. Uh, made prayer conversation with the Lord to where I knew he was hearing me. And I would instantly hear uh, his whispers of peace and so on. So this verse says, if, if you don't have a scripture in front of you, I'll quote it. And once again, I quote from different uh, translations. So, But he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, that's a fancy word for petition, with prayer and petition, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, all comprehension, 
will mount guard over your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now let me break that down. By the way, that's a phrase we're going to use a lot when I say let me break it down. I want to get into some of the meaning behind the original language or in the original language. Of course, the Bible was written in Koine Greek, which was a dialect of Greek created by Alexander the Great a couple hundred years before Christ, and that's what the New Testament is written in. So, be anxious for nothing. Literally, this is saying don't let anything that you're going to pray about make you anxious. So if you're mad at God, this is telling you to tell him you're mad at him. There was a time when I was so angry at God, I, I had the top down on my car. I was on Pacific Coast Highway. I lived in California on the beach back then, and I had it down. And I can remember I pulled up to a stoplight, and I can see it right now. I know right where the stoplight was. It was Topanga Canyon and Pacific Coast Highway. And I, the top was down, and I looked up toward heaven, and I said, God, I don't even believe in you anymore. You know what he whispered? Instantly, at the speed of light, he whispers, who you talking to? And it's like, ugh. Okay, I believe you exist, but I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm done with you. Just leave me alone. And um, honestly, for about the next five years, five or six years, uh, I was in a pretty high state of rebellion, and I did a lot of terrible, terrible things, sinful things, and uh, became, I kicked Christ off the throne in my life, and, and I became the God of my life. And that is a horrible place to be, and that's where I was. But did God run away from me? Oh, my goodness. No, not at all. He patiently waited and waited. And every now and then he would show me things and whisper things into my, in the ear of my mind. And uh, finally in 19, let's see, I started my rebellion in 84. And in 1990... Uh, all of a sudden he started to draw me back to himself with mercy and grace, and it blew me away. And I'm so grateful now, I can't even tell you. So, be anxious for nothing. It literally means don't hold anything back. You share exactly what you're thinking, exactly how you feel. And uh, somebody once said to me, well, what if I want to sin? What if I... You know, I know I'm a believer, but I see something I want, and I, I, I know God wouldn't want me to do it. Do I talk about that? Absolutely. Before you get upset, let me just say that that's confirmed in the Word of God in the uh, first epistle of John. Uh, the, John tells us, this is the message we heard from the beginning, and we declare unto you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have no sin, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. In other words, we, hey, we all have sin, we all have problems. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from our sin. Is that just awesome? So instead of trying to hide my sin like Adam and Eve did, hold everything behind my back, John is telling me just exactly what Paul's saying, 
Bring it up front. Put it right in front of you. Lord, I'm mad at you because you let this happen. Lord, why didn't you do this? Lord, I'm so upset. Or, uh, Lord, you know what? I want to do something, and I know that you call it sin, but I'm telling you the truth, Lord. I really want to do it, whether you want me to or not. That's how I am. And when you do that, you are, believe it or not, you are bringing it out into the light. And that's what he wants. He wants us to bring it out in the light. Um, And so be anxious for nothing. Don't hold anything back. But in everything, the, the phraseology in the Greek is let what you want, let what you want be made known unto God. Not what God wants, let what you want be made known unto God. And we see this throughout scripture when people pray for things. Uh, and we see it best illustrated uh, with the Lord Jesus himself. In Gethsemane, three times, he basically prayed, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Jesus was not just uh, agonizing over what he was about to suffer physically. He was about to take on the sin of Steve Scott. Every bad thought, every failed thought, He was about to experience for the first time. He had never experienced even a sinful thought and he was going to become my sin and your sin. And he was going to trade his righteousness for our sin. And uh, uh, Paul said it this way, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. The greatest exchange that ever happened in the history of the universe was God actually exchanged the righteousness of Christ, brought that to me and to my account, and put all of my sin on Calvary's cross, on our dear Lord and Savior. And so God proved his love that way. Okay, so be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let what you want be made known unto God. And here's what's cool about this prayer. As we get into prayer in future podcasts, you're going to see that prayer is like a diamond. Okay, now every diamond has has at its core an essence, you know, and you see that clear, beautiful, you see light pass through it, and, and it, it's amazing. But then the diamond also has a lot of facets around the, what's called the crown, and it has all these... Um, uh, facets, but the diamond itself has this wonderful core, and I can't remember what the name of it is now. I used to know, but I can't remember. Um, and what happens is that is where the light goes, and of course the facets break up the light and send off these little sparklies and so on, so it's really cool. Well, prayers like that diamond. It has a core or an essence, and then it has all the little facets. And we'll look at it sometime in the near future because the facets are amazing of prayer. But the essence of prayer, the core of prayer, is honest, transparent conversation with God. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and petitioning or supplication. What's petitioning? Petitioning is doing what Christ said, Father, Oh, I really want this. I'm, I, what can I do? Is there anything I can do to get this? Lord, I want this because of this, this, and this. That's just like a petition. It's okay. Share your heart. Don't hold anything back. Don't 
filtered your prayers. Jesus didn't filter his. What you do, you share exactly what's on your heart. And when Christ was looking at what was about to happen, he went ahead and said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Now watch what happens. In Paul, we hear, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will mount guard over your heart and mind. Now, this is God's peace. God's peace is radically different than any peace the world can ever give you. It's above our understanding. It's a peace that gives us calm, not just mentally, but literally. You, you feel it all over your body. You can just, you just relax. And there's no logic behind it. It's not a peace that's based on circumstances or logic. It's a peace that flows from the Holy Spirit, and it, it is available to us anytime we want. And what Paul is saying, when we're anxious about nothing, when we tell God exactly what we want, he doesn't promise that he's going to give us what he wants. He promises he will give us peace that rises above our comprehension. It's inexplainable. Now, we see that with Jesus. So he's in the garden. He says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Peace instantly comes. And he says, nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he meant it. And a few minutes later, all of a sudden, he's troubled again. He doesn't get frustrated and say, well, I guess I don't have any faith. No, he goes back on his knees and he says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Boom, peace comes, nonetheless, not my will, but thine be done. Finally, a third time, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. See, he's sharing his heart. He's not filtering. He's telling the Father that he dearly loves. I don't, I don't feel like doing this. If you can spare me of this, please do. And then the peace comes for the final time, and he says, nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. And this time, when the Holy Spirit gave him this peace that rises above all understanding, he was ready to begin his journey to Calvary. And of course, he was arrested, uh, he was beaten, he was humiliated, he was mocked, all before he went to the cross. Then all the, you know, when he was scourged, that's taking a whip with uh, they called it a cat of nine tails, 39 lead hook or, or, or lots of lead hooks and stones on it. And they gave him 39 lashes with that that would have literally ripped off uh, most of the skin off of his back. Many people that were being executed actually died during the scourging process. But that wasn't what was being dreaded by Jesus Christ. What was being dreaded was he who knew no sin all of a sudden was going to experience sin and separation from the Father. Do you know that that's the only time he, he let out a, a, a cry of agony? I'm sure he when he got beat and stuff, I'm sure it hurt, and who knows what kind of cries he let out. But he cried out that in anguish, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was not a question, by the way. That was in anguish. He was anguishing. And, um, and then, once again, guess what? The peace of God comes, 
and he says those wonderful words, it is finished. He came to finish the work of God in redemption of man, and he had just finished it. By the way, that's a Greek phrase that was stamped on paid-off debts. So if you borrowed uh, something to build a house, and then you pay it all back, that loan, you would end up getting a certificate. Now we call them, you know, deeds. And it would have, the, it would have on that paid in full, that phrase. It was completely paid for on the cross. Not another payment, not a penny will ever be required to pay for your sins. Christ paid for them all, past, present, and future. Okay, I share that because I want you to see that even the Savior did what Paul talks about. He was anxious for nothing. He didn't hold anything back. But with prayer and petitioning, he let his his desire be made known unto God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, took over his heart. Now, that that's a neat phrase in the Greek. By the way, we'll mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's in the active tense. So picture a guard at a... Uh, at a entrance to a fort, and he's got his rifle over his shoulder, and he's marching back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He's guarding that entry to the fort. Well, that's, that's literally what is being said, that the peace of God will continually garrison, mount guard back and forth over your heart, who you are, the core of who you are, and your mind where all of your conscious thoughts enter. And uh, it's all going to be guarded as this, by this incredible peace of God. But the, the requirement is that you pray honestly. When we tell God that we're angry about something or that we want something that we know he doesn't want, that doesn't, it's not like a body slam that a wrestler gives another wrestler. Listen, God knows we're weak. He, he, he didn't come to save the righteous. Jesus came to save sinners. In fact, we're told, Paul said, in my weakness, his strength is made complete and put on display for the whole world. So all of this to say, one of the resets, whenever your mind is drifting into the past or future, the greatest reset is to go into conversational prayer. It can be as short as Jesus' prayer in the garden. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nonetheless, not my will, but thine be done. You know, how long did it take to say that? And yet that reflected his heart, okay? No filtration. Paul says don't hold anything back. Um, what I want to look at, we're out of time now, but uh, what I want to look at in our next uh, podcast is something that is just as life-changing as living in the moment. Uh, the other day, um, I, uh, an acquaintance of mine who is a counselor, uh, she does marriage counseling and, and individual counseling and so on, she had called me and said, could I do some premarital counseling with her and her fiancé, who is a pilot, uh, a commercial pilot, and I said, sure, I had never met him, and I'd only known her for a few weeks. Well, they came in, and uh, I shared this with them, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it our, the focus of our next podcast. 
is what can become the greatest counseling experience of your life and you can have it every time you're hurting whether it's a little hurt a big hurt a giant hurt every time you're confused every time you're with questions how would you like to be able to go into a counseling session with a counselor who not only knows your deepest needs and not only knows how to meet those needs and how to solve any problem you bring to them, but a counselor that had a crystal ball, a counselor that could say, oh, well, I could, you could do this, but if you do, you're going to pass through an intersection at this time and you're going to get hit by a car running a red light. How'd you like to have a counselor that knew that? Well, the counselor I'm talking about, of course, is, the, is God himself and who knows no time, who knows no obstacles, who can see or do anything he wants, and uh, as long as it's uh, in keeping with his character. So I'm going to show you how to have counseling sessions with Christ. This is something you can teach your children. If you're as old as I am, you can teach your grandchildren. It is so cool, and I've been using it in my life for a long time, and it's everything that Jesus said it would be. So we'll talk about that tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but in our next podcast. Thanks for joining me.